Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome everyone to the Feelin' Film Podcast and our first episode of the new year, or new decade even. I'm Aaron, and with me is my co-host, Patch. Happy New Year, everybody. And in this special episode, we will be having a conversation about our year in movies from 2019. We are extremely excited for this because these discussions are always an absolute blast and something that we look forward to all year long. Instead of just giving you our top 10 films, which you can find by going to feelinfilm.com, we both have a blog post up that will tell you our favorites of the year there. We are going to go down some categories. We're going to talk about our favorite performances, our highs and lows, movies that met or didn't meet our expectations, our favorite podcast episodes to record, and of course, some of what we're looking forward to in 2020. We really think that you'll enjoy this one as much as we're going to, and so with that, we should probably get started. But before we do get started, Patrick, ha ha ha, I tricked you. The Golden Globes aired tonight, and even though we don't really respect them very much, they they do matter in a sense, and they are film awards, and Twitter and social media are tracking them, and it's fun to have conversations about. So I wanted to spend a few minutes just kind of recapping some of the awards and see if anything surprised us or made us really happy or really sad. So to start off, why don't you tell us one thing that stuck out to you, Patrick, about the winners? Well, I think there were there was a happy sad for me. There was a happy winner and a sad winner. And n- neither one of these were wow for me. Like I ex- I didn't expect them. They were worthy, but I had my own preferences. The happy was, of course, Laura Dern in Marriage Story. And for me, I think she obviously earned that award because she did a phenomenal job of making me feel detestable. Uh, made me sad for being a husband and a man uh, with her performance <laughs> as this lawyer. Um, but the fact is, I think Laura Dern is just a phenomenal, phenomenal actress. And my bias really kind of extends to her performance in Little Women as well. I just think that knowing that this is a single performance that she's getting awarded on, I'd like to believe that she's being kind of awarded for the fact that she's just done a fantastic job in 2019 with these performances together but she's definitely worthy of the uh of the of the one i don't know that she could ever win two necessarily but um but yeah she was my happy what was your you said you had two things oh sorry yeah so my sad one was um renee zellweger for judy i i saw judy it was good wasn't great for me but I also know that she was in a category with some other women who I absolutely adored. Scarlett Johansson from Marriage Story. Uh, you got Ronan from Little Women and then Charlize Theron from Bombshell. So those were three that I would have liked to have seen win the award. But Renee Zellweger, she did a great job as Judy and as Judy Garland. And so I don't discredit her. I just would rather have seen those other three women in that slot. Yeah, so she's one of my two meh rewards for this 
show. I, I did not like her performance that much. I mean, I, I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was mind-blowing. Part of that is because she's portraying a very different Judy Garland than we are used to in that movie. She's portraying an older Julie Garland. Um, she's not young and singing in musicals in the way that we remember her. And so there was something that just it, the, the movie as a whole didn't do it for me. And so it's hard for me to want to see a performance from a movie that I didn't enjoy awarded. Um, Taryn Egerton was my other meh. I know that you're a fan, and so you actually are probably kind of happy about that. You were glad to see him get some recognition. Yeah. Seems like the Golden Globes really like their Brit musical actors, apparently. I guess, That's I guess the, so. That's the lean here. <laughs> I guess we're so. Doing. You know, Elton John and Bernie uh, got, or Beanie, I think it is, is his name, got o- awarded earlier in the night as well for Best Original Song. And when they came out, even before that, to do uh, an introduction to rocket man as one of the best picture nominees they got a standing ovation from the crowd so there's a lot of love for elton john and so i can understand why that performance i guess resonated with the hollywood foreign press in a big way but it, it felt weird to me especially when on the night one of the two biggest winners once upon a time in hollywood which won best motion picture musical or comedy whatever categories let's not get wrapped up in that because we can't change it um it is what it is um and also best screenplay for qt and best supporting actor for brad pitt and leo got beat out here and that was a little bit surprising i feel like almost this is one where it kind of was like oh we have an opportunity we're gonna give it to taryn because i i can't tell you i think he's a better performance but i do think he did a good job just wasn't my favorite um yeah speaking of like once upon a time in hollywood of course one of my favorite movies of the year one of your favorite movies of the year so i was Mm -hmm. thrilled to see so much love for it brad pitt's speech was an absolute hoot i hope that i know you were with family i hope you're able to get back and watch some of the clips i have a dvr okay good because he oh that's probably a lot better you can skip everything with ricky gervais i'm (laughs) jealous But he gets up and he immediately goes into praising LDC, which, by the way, I think we should officially be able to call Leonardo DiCaprio LDC now because that's what his friend Brad Pitt says. Yeah. But he talks about their friendship, man. And it was cool because you're like thinking to yourself, man, these are not just two of the greatest actors of our generation. They are. They're like legitimately buddies. And and just that. For some reason, that elevates Once Upon a Time in my mind even more. Just knowing yeah. that, like, that relationship is coming from a place of, like, valued friendship between the two. And then at the end of his, like, thing, he says, by the way, I would have shared the raft. And I, I just, I laughed out loud. Like, I chuckled and kind of, like, spit my iced tea in my cup because I was dying. I was like, oh, my gosh, you just made a Titanic joke. Uh, but, yeah, I was super happy about that. The other one of the other big wins was 1917, Teking. Not only Best Director, Sam Mendes, which had film Twitter up in a major uproar right off the bat. Like, they were freaking out about this. Because he's in a category with Bong Joon-ho, Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, and then Todd Phillips. And even Sam Mendes, he was one of several awardees, Patrick, that... It was really fun to watch because they were genuinely shocked and didn't have anything prepared. Like he had no expectation to win. He gets up there and he's like, I'm in a category with titans of this industry. 
and I am just, I guess I can just say thank you and I'm honored, you know? Um, but he won. And then 1917 also took best picture for a drama over Joker, Irishman, Marriage Story, and the Two Popes, which is stunning. And I'm telling you, it is picking up steam. You're going to see it soon. Listeners, our next podcast episode, well, not the next one, because we're going to drop one in between, but next Monday is a week from now. We'll have an episode on 1917 for you. And I think when everybody gets to see it, Patrick, they're going to realize why it's in my top 10, why it's a five-star movie, why it's our you know fellow critic Don Shanahan's favorite movie of the year. It is absolutely worthy, and I don't think as many people are going to have a problem with it being awarded here. Yeah, that's the issue with being a being a layperson. I can I don't like not being in the critic circle for the reasons that you mentioned, getting to see these things a little bit early. But it's also nice to be able to have that perspective of saying there's a reason why it's difficult to have an unbiased or a different kind of take on a movie that you don't think should make it. I mean, 90% of the country has not even seen it. And one, you shouldn't comment on it if you haven't seen it. That's just wrong. But also, it's difficult to watch an award ceremony where something gets nominated and you're like, I guess it was great. I haven't seen it yet. Um, whereas these other ones have been around for a while. And that's that's more speaking to the fact that maybe there should be a cutoff in terms of giving – if you're going to have your audience be kind of invested in these awards, maybe that's important. Maybe it's not. Maybe have a cutoff and saying, look, November 1st is your cutoff for getting stuff in the theater. That way you have – November and all of December and January to get all of your movies in and let people see them. But I digress. I think I'm looking forward to it, especially with the nomination and the awards that have been given to it. I'm excited to see it on the big screen and excited to talk about it too. Yeah. I, everything you said, just cosign all that. Joaquin Phoenix, one best actor in a drama. Uh, he's, he's so good. Like I said, his speech is wackadoodle. I can't wait for you to watch it, dude. It is bonkers like he is completely incoherent it's like blah, it not blah, surprising? Blah, plants blah 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 uh todd phillips uh uh rooney mara <laughs> cry cry rooney mara cut to her face like apparently they're engaged didn't know this but they are wow okay um and then like something about like and then at the end he challenges the the room and it's pretty awesome he says something he's kind of he's totally he's He's freaking high, it looks like. That or just he's super anxious and doesn't like being there, which is what I felt for several of the people on stage, actually. It felt like they just were not. QT, totally awkward nerd, dude. Like, he did not feel like he was comfortable up there. And <laughs> neither did Joaquin Phoenix, but or Renee Zellweger, for that matter. Um, but anyway, Phoenix, at the end of his thing, he tells them, you know, we, we've talked about Australia several times tonight. He's like, we need to understand that it's more than just getting up here and saying we need to think about Australia and talk about Australia. He's like, we basically, he said, we need to put our money where our mouth is. And he said, maybe don't take that private jet from long beach back and forth to work one day a week or something like something of that sort is what he said um, as he was getting kind of played off, which is really cool, man. Like to, to have somebody look in a room of peers and say, put your money where your mouth is. And he said, and he even he was like, and me too, like I need to do better. So I just appreciated that level of kind of transparency and honesty from him. Other than that, Aquafina, one best actress uh, for a musical or comedy. I was super excited about that. I love her in the farewell. She kind of blew me away. Didn't think she had the acting chops to do anything dramatic. 
I knew she could do comedy, but uh, she surprised the heck out of me. She's the first Asian woman to ever win Best Actress in that category in the Golden Globes history. So wow. that's pretty cool. She made some history there. Um, Tom Hanks got a special, some sort of legendary lifetime award. It was, it put me in tears just watching a montage of Tom Hanks before that Charlize Theron got up and talked about him. And it was just the sweetest gosh darn thing. Both of their special awards were pretty moving and brought me to tears. The other one was Ellen and Kate McKinnon came up and talked about her and almost had us in tears. And then they played an Ellen montage, which was incredible. And like, you just realize like these are legitimately like good people Mm -hmm. and and really solid human beings and not just great actors or performers or whatever yeah tom hanks and ellen degeneres are two of the people that i admire because they feel complete as people they are not necessarily facades i'd like to believe that who we see them as on stage whether it's a talk show or whether it's on a on a movie set or whatever that's who we see in real life and We've seen enough of Tom Hanks on and off screen to know that he's who exactly who he says he is. He loves his family. He loves his job. He loves uh, being where he is. And he's not afraid to say, look, there are other people out there that are better than me at this. And I'm grateful. And I'm, you know, anytime he would get stepped on or stepped over for a nomination or an award, he's gracious enough to say, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think with, with Ellen DeGeneres, I would imagine it's the Carol, Burn- Carol, Carol Burnett Award for her right. and the Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille Award. That's what it is. You're good. Yeah. Uh, well, I have the internet to help me out a little bit. <laughs> I was just looking it up. But, you know, watching Ellen over these last probably 10 or 15 years, her show um, is not the only thing about her. But I think it's where we get to see a lot of her personality come on with the way she talks to guests, which is the, the way that she interacts with her audience. I, I love her comedy. I think she's very matter of fact in the way she tells stories. She's got a couple of books that she's written. I've got the audiobooks that she narrates, which is fantastic. I just, I look at both of these people and I think that if you're going to talk about influential people in Hollywood, these are two of the best. Yep. Agreed. And that's how it plays out. I mean, I, dude, I got to give props where there are due. I did not like the opening of this show. Ricky Gervais, I hate basically. One or two decent jokes, but a lot of cringeworthy stuff. Um, so he's not for me personally. The layout of the show and the way they did their awards, other than Parasite winning Best uh, Foreign Film, which, whatever. I mean, we knew that was going to happen. Yay, we're glad, but we knew that was going to happen. Other than that, the first hour of the show was random TV awards. And I was as a film fan, I was like, I would like to know that because I would just not tune in for that hour. Give it back to me. So other than the weirdness of that, I actually really enjoyed This is probably the most I've enjoyed a Globes in decade like i and part of that is because i like so many of the nominees this year patrick there's not a whole bunch of categories that i feel are going to get it totally wrong so there's usually two to three nominees in each one that i can get behind and be happy about which is going to make watching the oscars i think a lot more fun too because i don't live and die on a la la land win like i have some years just hypothetically speaking (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and die being the key with, word there <laughs> with, the, <laughs> with the oscars being so close this year being so quick it would be difficult for you to get behind one one horse and why are you sh- thank you, you see it? <laughs> he's showing me his t-shirt seb's, says, seb's t-shirt that's right i was right. hoping it would say samba tapas but whatever. you know that's next 
Uh, the other awards, Joker's uh, score beat out 1917 Little Women, Marriage Story, and Motherless Brooklyn, which is, is again, super competitive category. I could name another five that would be worthy of being in there as well. And it is haunting. It is a phenomenal score. So I want my boy Thomas Newman to win this for 1917, but I want him to win primarily because I want him to win for a lifetime achievement. Essentially, like he deserves an Oscar. I can't believe he doesn't have one. Uh, but that being said, Joker's score is is wonderful as well. So, oh, last but not least, before we go, guess what? One of the very first awards, Patrick. <laughs> I'm looking through this list and I'm like, oh, I know what you're about to say. It was best animated film. Yeah. Aaron, one of Aaron's like big things. Like Aaron loves animation, and so right before that, I sent out a tweet that said, "Don't be cowards. Pick Missing Link. Do it." And then. Five seconds later, they announced that Missing Link is their best animated film. And I lost my mind. I lost my mind. I cannot tell you how happy I am, which is, this is the weird thing. Usually, Patrick, I am very straight down the line. Like, Toy Story 4 is a five-star movie for me. Missing Link is a four-and-a-half-star movie for me. We're talking about me. Don't shake your head, because I know how you feel. But for me, right, these are like that, so to that would tell you Toy Story 4 is better, right? And that's how I always rank things. But for some reason, I am so behind Leica as a studio, as creators, as what they do. And Missing Link has such a personal, special place in my heart because of the type of story it is with it being an adventure tale that I am through the roof excited. And and because Pixar has plenty, Toy Story already, Toy Story already has one, you know, like that counts for the whole series. We're good. So I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It was a, one of the hugest upsets of the night. And I hope that Oscar voters are taking notice. I hope so, too. And while I wasn't as high on it as you were, I remember when the teaser came out because you you tagged me in it and you said Hugh's got a new movie. <laughs> and it was like this teaser for this weird stop animation movie from this not really obscure studio because they've made some some pretty great movies, but um, I knew that you you were like, eh, I don't know about this, and then we covered it, and I think over the over the period after we covered it, I mean, you liked it a lot. It grew on you, and I remember you saying, I can't stop thinking about about this movie. I'm I'm really excited to watch it again. So this is like a couple of months after we we covered it, and I'm really glad. I'm I'm glad that for once. If it's not at the Oscars, at least at this award show, of the five nominees, three of them were from a Disney studio, that we got something that was against the grain and that deserved it. I mean, it's a great story. It's not something that's just cookie cutter. It doesn't feel like it's, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard this tale before. No, it's really good. And the fact that it's stop motion animation, I think, enhances that. So good on it for winning. Agreed. I was super excited and I will be on a high because of that one for a few days, I would assume. Well, that's our Golden Globes recap for the night. We're going to go ahead and get on moving along because we have a ton of stuff to go over for you. All right, Patrick, this is it. Where we begin. We're going to start with our favorites from not 2019. That I said that terribly. So our first category is what our favorite movies. I, there's no nice way to say this. Our favorite non 2019 films. 
that we saw for the first time. I, I wish there was a better way. Our favorite films, not from last year. That's uh, that sounds much better. So, okay. <laughs> so less words. For most of these categories, we've limited ourselves to three, four, or five, depending on what the category is. And usually we <laughs> we cheat. I can't even say it with a straight face. No, I was gonna say we try to hold to those, but like, yeah, I, I mean, I have a bunch of things listed. I'm gonna pick them in the moment, so we'll see. How that goes. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you start? I will start, and I'll keep us in the uh, in the center lane if I can. Well, 2009 brought us a movie called Mr. Nobody. This was actually a uh, a premiere pick, wasn't it? I think it was. It was, part, it was actually part of a busy week. We covered this in another one, probably back to back, and had like all these great little releases because that came at the end of a a month where we had a donor pick. Yeah, our buddy Josh from the LSG Media podcasts, they're now called The Last Drive-In or The Lost Drive-In. They rebranded themselves. can't remember the name. Um, he actually picked it because his girlfriend, Erin, is a listener as well. And ah, it's one yes. of her favorite movies, and she was dying for us to cover it. And so he bought it for her as a premium pick, I believe, as like a Valentine's Day present. One of the sweetest things that's ever happened to us. And we didn't even know what it was until then. Exactly. And so... Queuing this up, it is billed as a sci-fi drama, fantasy, romance. I don't know really what you'd call it, but it was just weird and it was beautifully weird. And I remember more than anything watching the movie and then having a conversation and really feeling like this is a movie that I think deserves multiple conversations. It's one of those kind of heady films that makes you think. And it, I would say it's not sci-fi more than it is just kind of fantasy and uh in a romance but it's not told in a in a typical way like it it takes you a couple of tries to really kind of absorb what you're actually watching jared leto leads the cast and he does a phenomenal job as the as the lead in this and it's one of those movies that it allows you to kind of question your life and the value of it and if you've made a significant difference in the life that you have chosen for yourself or that you've given to somebody else in terms of a, a different relationship. But I remember just walking away from my viewing and then leading into our discussion saying, man, that's a movie that I don't know that I would have been ready for in 2009. I think it's a movie that I needed to see in 2019 because I don't think I was mentally prepared to appreciate it the way I did. So it was definitely one of the top ones for me. Episode 157, I would like to remind folks, um, I'll try to pull those up here as we go. I meant to wrote th write them all down. That one is actually on my list as well, Patrick. Um, that was a standout for me because it was just one of the movies this year that I watched that I wasn't expecting to watch. So 99% of our episodes are things we've chosen, of course. So I know they're coming. And I'm in that headspace where I, I have some sort of heart in picking them and then the other ones are you know they're in theaters so we're choosing what to cover what not to cover and the element of surprise was i think especially unique with mr nobody and so it was just this super intriguing thing for us and i, I need to go back to it actually i really liked it when we watched it the first time in fact i loved it and i, I would like to go back because you're right i think it deserves and warrants multiple viewings to kind of pick it apart well the first one for me I don't remember the exact episode. It was an FF plus and it was early in the year. So somewhere probably around in February ish. I'm pretty sure it was February because that's African American history month. 
And that is a documentary by Kim Burns called The Central Park Five. And, and I, I won't be surprised at all if some of these overlap, by the way. So that's fine. But The Central Park Five was really an impactful kind of, what I don't know what the word, not touchstone, maybe touchstone. What's that word for like a, a thing that kind of becomes a landmark? But it, it was a moment in time that I will always be able to look back at because something started to flip in me. Now, it started further back years ago when I saw Ava DuVernay's 13th. And I was like, wow, okay, didn't realize this about our prison system. And I didn't understand that this is what was going on in America. And since then, I'd had some really intriguing <laughs> and difficult racial conversations with friends of mine that I trusted, some film critics, some co-workers. And I can't remember how this came about. I think somebody might have recommended the Central Park Five, because I don't know that I would have known what this was. I had never heard of this case. But you and I decided to watch it and cover it as part of Black History Month. And it was so impactful to me to see partially what I experienced in watching that documentary 13th playing out in a real life scenario what happened to some of how these boys were treated these the falsely accused falsely imprisoned men in new york city who were punished for this crime that they never committed and that they were uh, intentionally uh, at a police department that intentionally lied and coerced them into giving false guilty statements to in order just to meet quotas and to close the door on a case that they wanted to have someone to blame for. It was absolutely maddening. It was heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, later this year, When They See Us came out. So we were watching it kind of prepping for that. Um, and while that was a 2019 thing, that was one of my favorite non-film pieces of entertainment for the year because it was the dramatic version of the Central Park Five, as told by Ava DuVernay. So it was all this big one kind of whirlwind of pieces that kind of set me on a path and have continued to, I feel like, helped push my growth and my learning forward in the area of um, racial justice and they have inspired me and and I really find them to be super important for people to these are stories that people need to know people need to understand exist and not only that but it's also just a really real fine made documentary of course when Kim Burns is making it that's pretty much a given and so you know because of its impact on me and my life outside of just enjoying something as a movie the Central Park Five was the one that stood out the most yeah, it, it didn't make my list, but it was definitely one that impacted me as well. And it was a really great primer for when they see us, obviously, because when they see us is based off of that. So being able to see that retelling in those two different mediums, documentary and, um, and dramatization helped me in Understanding, And I think it's what motivated us to eventually, maybe not those, but maybe as we were thinking through it, motivate us to have that bonus content episode where we talked about 
um, how we how we can better understand the black culture through the films that we watch. I thought that was a fantastic episode that we did. And this year has been very, or this last year, being a part of a church that focuses on racial reconciliation, there's a sense of wanting to be very deliberate, not just say, yes, I'm part of a church that does this. There's something being a, about being a spectator versus being a participant and watching these movies and seeing these stories play out in the visual medium. I watched 13th for the first time last year as well. Um, and so having all three of those kind of culminate really remi- not just reminds me, but continues to reinforce the idea that racism in America is not what or just what it's defined as back in like the 1950s. Like there is a system, there is a systemic racism that exists that we are all responsible to help reverse the trend. What that looks like, that's for a different conversation. But the ability to be aware and the ability to take responsibility as much as you can as a white male or whatever is so important. And I think having these types of narratives in front of us allow us an ability to tap into that. Um, I, I was reminded the other day, I forget what it was. I forget what I was watching, but somebody said, oh, it was a it was an episode of This Is Us where you have um, Jack, the white dad trying to communicate to his his black son and he says i can't teach you how to be black and that that reminded me it's not my job to be a black person it's my job to help understand the atrocities and the and the frustrations and the limitations that black americans have had and how i can help be a part of reversing that trend so again having movies like that documentaries like that really help to reinforce and remind me that it's still around and that I can still be a part of the solution. Awesome. What was uh, your second one? Snowpiercer was my second one. This is one that I think you had billed to me whenever uh, we were going to cover it. You said, this is Captain America, not like you've seen him. It stars um, Chris Evans in this post-apocalyptic movie about this train that is on a constant root around the world because the entire world is encased in a frozen landscape. Everything is just a kind of a nuclear winter of, of sorts, not nuclear winter, but an actual winter. And, uh, and the movie follows him being a part of this back of the train, literally the lowest class of people, uh, making his way to the front as kind of starting a revolution. It's directed by the, uh, d- director Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. And so I, you know, when I watched Parasite this year, I expected nothing less than brilliance after seeing Snowpiercer. But what intrigued me the most was the fact that the source material comes from a trilogy of of comic books. And there's actually a TV series that I think is in the works. Maybe it's in the same category as the upcoming Flash movie, Half-Life 3 and the New Mutants, you know, where it's been announced, but not necessarily going to be in production and um, so I ended up actually buying the three books and they deviate significantly, but not in a bad way. I could see where the movie uses some of the source material to tell its story. But what I enjoyed about the movie more than anything was the intrigue that I had about the society of these cars and how this long, numerous car train had essentially 
a cultural um, classification of people dedicated to different cars. So at the back of the train, you had the lowest class of people. At the front of the train, you had the highest class of people. So it was very metaphorical, very very analogous of the idea that you're the lower part of society, so you need to be in the back. And so watching Chris Evans' character go through the train and be able to navigate literally and metaphorically through the different classes of people and different classes of the train. Um, it tells a story that is not only great as a sci-fi action, but also a fantastic metaphor. Yet again, another movie that I think deserves more than one viewing and deserves a conversation after it. Couldn't agree more. I love it. I'm glad we got to cover it. Uh, it was episode 162. That was Snowpiercer, if you want to hear us talk about that one and you haven't already. Um, the rest of mine, so it's interesting, you know, you're picking movies that we covered, and I don't really have movies that we covered, and I think that's fairly odd, because other than Mr. Nobody, I think almost everything we've covered has been something I've seen, other than one. There's one other one on my potential list here that I didn't see until a podcast for the first time, and it was a standout as well. But the one I want to just, and I'm going to probably rocket fire a couple of these here. Uncharted Eye of Indra. <laughs> what? Everybody's saying? What? So this is an 18-minute short film. It's actually kind of a series of motion comics put together. And what it is, is that in the kind of run-up to Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, the video game release... They put this motion comic out, and it is a prequel to the very first Uncharted video game. And it kind of shows uh, Nathan and Sam and or Sully and how they have this little adventure uh, leading up to where they are when the game Uncharted Drake's Fortune begins. And, you know, I'm a super fan of the Uncharted series and the lore and everything around the idea of these explorers and treasure hunters and Nathan Drake. And I was blown away by this, Patrick, like the motion comic aspect of it. I have liked those in the past. I know there's an X-Men one that I've enjoyed. Um, there's an Iron Man one. I think it's on Extremis is the topic of that one that I really enjoyed. And I just absolutely was enthralled by this. I loved it. It's using the actual voice actors, uh, Nolan North, Richard McGonagall. It's directed by Neil Druckerman, who has, you know, been the creative director for the Uncharted series all along. So it was made in house by Naughty Dog, and it shows. And I'm telling you, man, I could have watched a feature length film in this motion comic style without any problem. I would have loved it. Would have been one of my favorite animated films of that year, easily. Uh, it is a perfect backstory for the game, and it is just so much fun. And so I'm mentioning it because maybe out there somewhere there's Uncharted fans that are listening to this podcast that don't know this exists, just like I didn't know it existed until this year, and want to go check it out. Uncharted Eye of Indra, you can find it on YouTube. I'm literally the only review for it on Letterboxd. <laughs> I mean, apparently not a lot of people have seen this, but it exists, and it is absolutely worth seeing if you're a fan of that series. Well, that's fantastic. I'd forgotten that you'd seen that, but I remember you raving about it when you did see it. So good on that. And hopefully, um, 
I do I was getting ready to say, yeah. When you finish the first game, you should watch it. Okay, that's what I'm saying. I'm, that's I'm, when it came out, so that's a perfect time. Okay, I'm five chapters away, so Excellent. just let me know. It's just as a, as a signpost there, so when people listen back, they're like, "Did he ever finish that?" <laughs> well, the third movie for me was one that was a real surprise. Uh, one because it's a horror movie, at least by genre, but it's one that I think surprised me because i really really enjoyed it and apart from the jump scares i think it's one that i'll continuously rewatch, and that's uh jennifer kent's the babadook i didn't know what to think going into this and you know honestly aaron i mean to be honest this is i don't like horror movies that scare me to death that i can't sleep afterwards but what i found was that the babadook was a fantastic way to look at how to deal with grief and I won't give too much away because I know this is a spoiler free episode, but Jennifer Kent has this ability to both maintain the horror genre successfully and at the same time allow me to feel something deeply. By the end of the movie, seeing what has taken place, um, the twists and turns that our main characters go through and how the 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 quote villain is handled was so both original and familiar to me because of the underlying themes that she was playing with i think it's a movie that everyone needs to see at least once even if you're not a fan of horror i would uh, recommend just knowing where some jump scares are that way you can prepare yourself there aren't that many there is a fantastic scene near the end that is my connecting point you can go back and listen to the episode that is probably one of the most memorable moments in cinematic history for me in terms of an emotional standpoint like this is i watched it and i said yes that is exactly how i feel right there um so that's a little tease for you to check out the episode it was really fun to do um and so i yeah recommend listening to the episode watching the movie first and enjoying that conversation Awesome. Yeah, that one caught me off guard because I was not expecting you to resonate with it nearly as much as you did. I remember being shocked, actually, when we started talking about it and you were really just raving about it. And I was like, what is going on? This is not what I expected. (laughs) I still don't recommend her next film for you, although it is definitely also about grief in many ways. But her film from 2019, The Nightingale, is a brutal um, frontier it's 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 awful um you know a woman is raped and kids are killed and it's just it's it's brutal i mean it's all the way brutal it's got racism and it's tough to watch and there's a purpose to it but it is a very different style of movie it is not um it's not got monsters that you can see (laughs) it's kind of like the babadook in that way and that the monsters are the humans right Mm, yeah um but it's very intriguing Um, okay but yeah i don't think i would recommend it for you probably not um, that was episode 158, by the way, listeners, if you would like to go back and listen to our Babadook conversation. My last one, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I kind of piggybacked a little bit. I guess I kind of cheated and just said, yes, me too, when you said Mr. Nobody. The Maltese Falcon. I saw it for the first time this year. I absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. The writing is what stuck out the most to me. It is witty. It is sharp dialogue. And I could just watch... Humphrey Bogart 
all day long talking in any movie ever. I mean, he's phenomenal, man. Watched Peter Jackson's King Kong for the first time, or for the first time all the way through, and was kind of blown away by it. Thought it was fantastic and one of the best monster movies. Likewise, watched the original Godzilla in the lead-up to seeing the newest Godzilla movie that came out in 2019. Um, Was shocked at how much I loved the original Godzilla primarily because it's less of a monster movie than I expected, having seen further down the road entries and remakes of Godzilla. (laughs) The original is much, much more of an actual commentary on the state of the world and the whole nuclear situation in Japan as a response to what America did and such and so forth, and there's a lot more of that going on. It's much deeper than your typical, like, you know, Godzilla duking it out with, you know, Mothra type of concept. But it is fantastic. So a couple monster movies made my list. A Trip to the Moon, George Melius, his little short film, sci-fi. I never knew this was a short film, actually, until I watched it, until I looked it up. I thought it was just a full feature-length movie that I was missing, but it's short. And it is really cool uh, for being made in 1902. The way that this film treats science fiction, fantasy, and even to its day, the way that humans are depicted as going to a new world. And in this new world, they are met with local inhabitants who they immediately vaporize. And it's like, it's kind of shocking to be like, wow, not much has changed ever in the history of the world. That's just what people do, I guess. Uh, But it looks amazing and it is just was a really cool piece of history to kind of check off my list for things that I wanted to get seen. And then the last one, and I'm saying all of these because I'm just not going to go into depth on any of them, is When Harry Met Sally. What's the episode number? I'll have to look that up real quick um, while I'm talking. But we were able to do an episode on When Harry Met Sally with Aaron Hundley on the podcast. It was fantastic. Uh, everybody had been kind of giving me crap because they didn't believe that I had not seen this movie and somehow I missed it in the 90s despite having seen, you know, almost every other Tom Hanks type Tom Hanks. Meg. I've seen all the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, you know, collaborations, but not the Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan collaboration. And this one, Patrick, won my heart over. The writing by Norda Efren is fantastic and it really was the definitive romantic comedy of that era and inspired what would become like the model for romantic comedies for the next 20 years as we've seen. So um, it is one of the pinnacle achievements of that genre and I adored every second of that movie and I'm so glad that we got to see it and talk about it in episode 190. So if you want to go back and hear me talk about more or hear me talk more about When Mary Met Sally, episode 190. Fantastic. Yeah, I loved, loved that, that episode. And it definitely sets the standard for what a romantic comedy should be. Well, did you have another one or are we? I'm tapped out. Okay, you're tapped out. So I just realized in this next category that I don't have it listed in the notes. But it's one that we did last year, I think. So I'm wondering if you even wrote anything down. Do you have stuff noted for favorite non-film entertainment, or is this something I just created and put into my notes by myself? I think you created it by yourself. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is, though. I've enjoyed okay. the. I've enjoyed sure. playing Uncharted this year. It's, That's um, the only correct answer. It's, <laughs> you're getting kicked off the podcast. 
inside baseball, if you haven't heard me talk about this, um, Aaron, as a, as a best friend should, bought me Uncharted 1, 2, and 3 when the PlayStation Network or whoever was having the, uh, having a big sale on the, on the games. And he was like, here, you need to play these because Uncharted at the time was supposedly coming out earlier next year. And, um, so what that prompted me to do was to start playing it. And once I finished those three, the plan was to buy a PS4, play Uncharted 4. I think there's an expansion game after that, and then eventually enjoy the movie with my best friend. Right now I'm still on one because my life is complicated as it should be with a wife and a son and a job and a podcast to run. But I'm enjoying the heck out of the first installment. I'm about five chapters away from finishing and I'm looking forward to the next installment because I know that you have told me there is a significant increase in the uh, gameplay quality and some of the uh, the visuals. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Awesome. I think you might have a couple more. I'm going to run down a few of mine and let you think, and then I'll throw you a bone if I need to. Okay. Um, so my list, and again, I'm just going to kind of rapid fire through some of these. But the first thing I watched on New Year's Eve 2019 was... Taylor Swift's Reputation Tour music video. And I proceeded to watch it like five or six more times last year. It is so good. I love every second of it. And I am also super hyped for her coming documentary series this year on Netflix, Miss Americana. Um, so that's not on my list of upcoming 2020 films to look out for, but it is one. Uh, but that was really, really good. Chernobyl was a standout series for me. It one at the Golden Globes tonight. I was excited about that. It even won uh, an acting award for Stellan Skarsgård. I wanted it to win for Jared Harris and Emily Watson as well. It did not win those two, but I'll take the two at one. It is phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, it's on HBO, and it is a miniseries. It is harrowing. It was so immersive and such an important story, I felt. I even listened to the podcast, companion podcast that they put out with it, so that I could get more information on it about how it was made and what the choices they made, what the reasons behind them were, and how they went about getting access to some of the places that they did in making that uh, series. It is just, it's it's a must-see. It really is, as far as dramatic historical television goes. Watched a couple new series, Dead to Me. Didn't even know the show existed, and then I like sat down and watched the entire show, and I found out that I really enjoy 30-minute dramas that are infused with mystery and like a little touch of sardonic dark humor. There aren't a lot of them, but there are more than one. I will let you talk about it, but there are more than one because Dead to Me led me somewhere else uh, along with you. But I, Dead to Me is, is there, man. It is top-notch acting with Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini and James Marsden. The writing is layered. It's got like these pieces of a puzzle going on, um, really deep characters. I'm excited for more of it. And I like 30-minute short shows on Netflix that I can binge because what I have found is I am a starter and I am not a finisher. And this has plagued me with video games and television and I think will continue to plague me for the rest of my life. It's one reason I love movies so much. It's really easy to start a movie and finish it, Patrick. The most I got to spend is a couple hours usually. But to start a TV series, anything that's going to take me more than a day, and video games are a big, big problem, which leads me to my next one, which is video games. I got reinvigorated in my video game playing last year in a big way. I went through the original Halo for the first time. That was pretty cool experience for me. 
Uh, I went through Uncharted The Lost Legacy, the final Uncharted game, which is actually two of the female um, supporting characters who are in doing the adventure by themselves, and I absolutely loved it. Fantastic new adventure in that series. I went through the newest God of War entry, which is phenomenal. I went through Fire Emblem Three Houses. I spent 100 plus hours in that, and my daughter and I are still playing it to this day, and a whole lot more. And I'm enjoying them, but there's a balance that is very difficult to find as you're finding still going through the same game you started like six months ago so um i mean i'm doing better than you but it's a struggle <laughs> it's a struggle when you have these different interests and and limited time yeah books and comics for me batman versus tmnt read the comic before the movie mm-hmm. loved it thought it was amazing uh, reread batman hush before that movie still love it and it was amazing even though the film took a different approach i thought the film was equally awesome uh, one of the, or two of the biggest things I read this year were race related. That's stamped from the beginning, the definitive history of racist ideas in America. I cannot recommend this book enough. And the second one is called white fragility, which I also second or cannot recommend enough. Um, these authors really bring it and it's not in a way that you need to get defensive about. I know the book title white fragility put me off for a long time, but you dig into these things and when you open your mind to them, you can start to see things in a little different way. And then when it comes to stamps from the beginning, it is, it truly is the definitive history of racist ideas in America. I mean, it goes so far back. It will hurt you to realize how ingrained in the world racist ideas have been and where, how we got to where we are today. Um, And really just the depth of, of decision-making that has led us here and how hard it may be to undo that. But I think it's necessary before any work can actually be accomplished. So those two are huge ballers. I started watching that series and absolutely love it. I'm I'm not quite done. I got a couple seasons left of that one. Jack Ryan season two came out this year. Another high point for me. I binged through the the heck out of that one because I love me some Jack Ryan. When they see us aforementioned, you and I both loved that one, did an episode on that, I believe. And then in, we did, I'm pretty sure we did an episode on When They See Us with uh, Coleste even, if I, if I recall. And then um, The Witcher, just here in December, I binged myself through The Witcher and I'm trying to play The Witcher 3 now for the third time uh, because it's so humongous and I'm failing miserably because I would rather just watch a two hour movie when I know I can complete something like I just said. So those are some of the big highlights of my year, but I know you had a, at least one big show that was a surprise for you so yeah thanks for thanks for jogging my memory because 2019 apparently was filled with a lot of stuff um i will say the book that i read last year one of the books i read last year was 1999 best year ever it was uh came recommended and given to me by my wife i finished it i guess probably in less than a month Uh, with all my busy schedule i'm surprised that i finished it that fast but it's a fantastic look at 1999 and the films that came out, how they kind of set the tone for what we have today in terms of summer blockbusters, in terms of independent films, sci-fi, social commentary, all these movies that you and I enjoy specifically, 1999 really pushed the envelope to say, look, these movies can exist and people can buy them and people can go see them. Um, I think it's a, it's a fantastic look at a year that we probably won't see repeated because we're growing and because we're people that 
are looking for change and, you know, at times we're obsessed with a certain kind of genre or a certain kind of movie, but it's entertaining. It uh, definitely motivated me to check out some other movies that I hadn't seen from 1999 and revisit those that I was familiar with. Blair Witch, Office Space are two of the ones that I really, really love and uh, was glad that it was given some love uh, for for those along with movies like Fight Club being John Malkovich. I mean, the list goes on and on. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that movie came out. I can't believe that movie came out. Yes, Star Wars Episode One came out that year too, but there's some really great uh, commentary on that movie as well and how it really reinvigorated the summer blockbuster that hadn't existed for a number of years. And um, as you've hinted at, the big TV series that I was exposed to uh, is the Bill Hader-led Barry on HBO. There's two seasons out currently. I binged both of them fairly quickly, half-hour episodes. I think there's only like, uh, well, I think, I don't know how many episodes there are in a season. I think there's actually 22. So it's a it's a fairly lengthy season as opposed to other streaming services that have probably eight or nine. But watching this series and watching Bill Hader play kind of a dark comedy role as opposed to kind of a goofball that I'm used to, which I love, by the way, I think his impressions are spot on. Watching him play a character who um, is challenged by his world circumstances. He plays a, a hitman who finds a love for acting and he's trying to balance that role. And so he's got these relationships with his, um, I guess you could say his handler. Um, and then he's got his relationship with his teacher and one of the actresses in the class that he is a part of. And each episode obviously kind of builds off of the one previous, but each, each one feels somewhat self-contained. There's such great relationships and such great chemistry with him and the rest of the cast. And it's a, it's a phenomenal show. I'm sad that while he did get a, a nomination, he did not get a Golden Globe, but that's okay because we're still getting Barry season three, hopefully coming out later this spring. And I will definitely be there to watch that. Absolutely. And um, we both will. That's one that I can get to. I don't think it's 22 episodes. I think it's more like 12. Okay. 22 would, there's no way I would have been able to binge through two seasons of that. Maybe I was thinking both of them combined was like 20. I think you were. Yeah, yeah combined. That's, probably... that's about right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, but it is phenomenal. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that we got to go through it and talk about it and enjoy that one together. Um, at least we did that. So that's a win. We've failed in so many times, but that's a win. And we can hang our hat on that. 30 minutes, man. Let's got it. That's my thing. Yeah, that's my thing. Um, Favorite performances. So this next category I have written down in our show notes that it was supposed to be like four total, two female and two male. I completely ignored that apparently this year and didn't pay attention to that. So I'm going to try and think of another female. It's not like I don't have them. I just didn't write one down. Mine, my first one I would, I would call out is Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems. He is so frantic and so chaotic and... And if you've seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, you've probably heard people talking about it. Uh, it's out in theaters now, so you can go check it out. I'm really hoping that this nets him an Oscar nomination, and I would frankly be perfectly pleased if he was to win an award for his work in this movie. It is the most dramatic piece he's done other than Punch Truck Love, and it is unlike anything you'll ever see. Even if you don't like the movie, 
because it is just a manic, propulsive two hours of F-bombs. I think it's got like the seventh most F-bombs of a movie ever. And I, what I really want to do is take this list that it's seventh on, because Wolf of Wall Street's got it even more, and kind of do an average of what's the percentage of F-bombs versus screen time because Wolf of Wall Street's like almost three hours long. So I'm wondering if like per capita minute or per, per minute, cap- you know, yeah, per capita. you know, does like uncut gems take the cake? But the thing is, it's, it's just, those words are like rambling out of his character Howard's mouth and he just, he never stops. And, it, and you really can feel the compulsiveness that drives his gambling and his bad decisions. And it's in every aspect of his life. And I, I just, there is, you might watch it and think he's just being crazy and like, oh, this, this can't be that hard. No, it's got to be insanely hard to do this, what feels like completely uncontrolled performance, but it's actually controlled and, and on purpose and with, a, you know, um, a mindset behind it and a very particular goal to get from point A to point B and progress his character as we go. And so it is just standout performance and you know, easily one of the top four that I will remember when I think about this year, just kind of right off the top of my head. And that's what I was going for with these favorite performances was I tried to think of things that I'm going to remember a couple years from now and not just ones I necessarily liked in the movies that I liked. For sure. For sure. I mean, that makes sense. And that's partly what drove me is what, well, I look back on 2019 and go, man, that made me feel crappy or that performance just really made me want to champion that that character and this first one for me kelvin harrison jr he was in two movies this year waves and lucy 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 loose loose gosh gosh i I was gonna i'm gonna butcher that so yeah he was in two movies this year waves and loose and both performances were pretty outstanding but it was his performance in loose that i think really put him over the top for me he comes across as very calculated in his role. And I remember talking to you about about this movie as I was watching it. And I was like, you know what? His character reminds me so much of some people that I've known in my life who have this calming kind of persona, but you can tell that they're just trying to potentially manipulate the situation. They, they have an underlying type of motivation, an underlying type of plan that they're trying to accomplish and it's what makes Loose as a movie pretty compelling. It was almost in my top 10 uh, because of the fact that it was compelling. But it's very quiet, too. Like, there's not a lot of crazy action in it. There's not a lot of, like, espionage necessarily. It's not one of those kind of exciting movies. It's a quiet type of mystery. And there are moments in it, Aaron, where I think Harrison Jr. scares me. There are scenes where he's talking to a character and the the camera is pointing directly at him and he's looking at the camera as if he's talking to me. And he's so convincing in some of the things that he says that it scares me because I'm I'm the all knowing audience and I understand what's going on with him on the inside. But to see him say the things that he does and talk the way that he does and be able to persuade and play this kind of verbal game of chess with some of the other characters, it's pretty phenomenal and scary at the same time. And for me, I think that's what's going to be one of the most memorable performances for me is seeing him in that 
when you couple it with his performance as Tyler in Waves, I think it adds another dynamic to him as an actor. And that's probably why he's going to be one of the standouts for me this year as my uh, as one of my male actors. Well, that makes perfect sense. And that same kind of reasoning is why I have Laura Dern as my number two on this list here. Uh, and these aren't like ranked or anything. These are just picks. And I put down Marriage Story, but, you know, it could be for Little Women and Marriage Story, just like Kelvin Harrison could be for Loose and Waves. But the performance the most that I will remember is definitely in Marriage Story. And I think that that's pretty phenomenal when Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver are both incredible as leads in the movie and they are award worthy themselves easily but yet i will remember the very brief amount of moments from laura dern and it's because of just the way that she plays a character who is so true to life as someone that influences real relationships and is calculating and smart and on some level, if you're the right person attached to her, you want her on your side and you could even consider her almost a friend at times because of the way that she defends and fights for you. Um, and the question of whether she's doing that correct or right or not is part of what makes it such a great performance. Um, but she gives what is one of the standout monologues of the year. One of those great little clip moments where they'll play it at the Oscars when they put her up on the stage <laughs> to get her statue as I see it coming. She got her gold globe today. But um, yeah, her and Marriage Story it will stick out. And, and I think partially as well, just because it's a performance that is tied to you and I in a way that you, when you first watched Marriage Story, immediately started like texting me and you were just like for two weeks straight on this Laura Dern evil trip like every chance you could get. And so that has just put her in my memory even more, but she has like an equally 180 performance as Marmy in little women. That is really amazing. And it's cool to see her range and to see her go from such a calculating devious um, divorce attorney to a selfless mother figure Mm -hmm. of four girls who is keeping the house going when her husband is off at war in the civil war era. So um, Laura Dern for me won December and had to be on my list. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, she was one of my females as well. And I, for good measure, rewatched the last Jedi after our coverage of uh, the rise of Skywalker. And yet again, there's Laura Dern in her purple hair and being, maneuver. Yep, doing her thing. And, I think you're exactly right. These dual performances that are so completely opposite of each other really show how fantastic she is. I adore her. I adore her being tall. I adore her just performance in both of these movies. And I hope, I really do hope that she gets the Oscar this year. Well, my next one is Zach Gotzigan in the peanut butter Falcon. And this is an absolute standout performance of the year for me because of not only how good it is, but just how special and unique it is and how meaningful it was. The Peanut Butter Falcon is that movie, that one that sort of comes along each year, whether it's a Sing Street for us, uh, a Hearts Beat Loud for us, that five-star 
powerhouse of a film that we don't expect to to be hitting us or that we it's not on anybody else's radar really it's not a big studio movie but when we see it it's something that feel and film is all about and we connect with it and we do that because of zach this is zach's story and i I won't go super into it you know you can go back and listen to our episode on the peanut butter falcon where don shanahan joined us and we just raved about it for nearly an hour and a half but i talked some in that episode about how this movie came to into existence and that's because the creators of this found zach and zach was like make a movie and put me in it you know and, and let me be the lead and they believed in him that he could do that and here he is, dude, holding his own with Shia LaBeouf, one of, um, honestly, one of our generation's best actors. So it is an awesome performance. And for a man with the disabilities that he has to be able to control not only acting as if he has that, but it, it, I just I don't even know how he does it. He's amazing and he is an, a wonderful beautiful human being who evokes incredible emotion out of me and i hope that this launches a career for him that's my dream is that it's not just the movie where he got to be the lead in it and it's a really cool heartwarming story zach wants to be an actor and zach has proven that he can be an actor in hollywood and i hope that he gets cast in legit roles in other movies that don't just revolve around him being somebody with Down syndrome, you know, that he can get that chance because I believe he proved in this film that he can handle it. And I, I for one, would be first in line to buy a ticket if that happens. He is definitely tops in my book in terms of breakthrough performance because of the fact that you have this uh, this challenge to overcome. And that's going to be it's going to be a challenge for him to be able to not get cast in roles that center around um, his condition, disability, I don't know what you'd call it, politically correct speaking, but I hope that there are stories that are written where his ability, his acting ability can be put on full display because I think he's great. Um, he didn't make my list, but um, but I definitely agree. He's he's one of the best out there. I'm going to go with the, the obvious pick for myself, Joaquin Phoenix, and I want to say playing Arthur Fleck. I want to emphasize Arthur Fleck because this is Arthur Fleck's story. While it is an origin story for the Joker, Todd Phillips was very deliberate about making this a story about a guy named Arthur and how he battles mental illness and trying to understand the world around him, trying to put himself in a position where he's just trying to function. And the challenge of that, the challenge of trying to overcome societal obstacles, feeling like he is a nobody and being in a world where everything seems to be against him and eventually having to take his life into his own hands and overcome it in a way that he sees as healthy. We had a great discussion about it um, with Andrew B. Dice of ScreenRant.com. And I think that Joaquin is a fantastic actor. I recently watched her for the first time. And he's great in that. He's always been a favorite of mine, even despite his quirkiness, as you mentioned earlier with his Golden Globes acceptance speech. But that doesn't discount the fact that he just knows how to act. He knows how to perform. And I think that I won't say that this role was made for him, 
But I think that if there was ever an actor that would allow me to think about the Joker beyond uh, Heath Ledger, this is the one to do it. And I'm so glad that he won the uh, the Golden Globe. I hope I'm assuming that he'll get a nomination at the Oscars. Um, if he wins, I would not be upset at all about that. Yeah, me either. And I think you hit that on the head there. I think that that's what allows us to really fall into Joker as a movie itself and also into his performance and to be able to, it had to be something completely different than just another take on the Joker in the same universe. It had to have this different unique flair and setting and kind of pulling Batman out of it in a way and refocusing it on his mental health in order to allow us to really pull him away from comparing to Heath Ledger because shockingly I haven't done that at all. Like I haven't felt that comparison was necessary. Whereas going into this movie, the entire conversation around it was like, is he going to be as good or better than Heath Ledger, you know? And that's what it was when Jared Leto's Joker came out and of course was nowhere close to Heath Ledger. So I think that the style of the movie was perfect for Joaquin Phoenix to do that. And then, like you said, it's incredible that we now have two iconic versions of the same character. It's unheard of, really, um, that are both this incredible. So good pick. Uh, my, I, I've got some honorable mentions down here. Look, the truth is, for me, it's Leo and Brad as a team. I could not get over the chemistry between these two. And I mentioned it here up top when we were talking about the Golden Globes a little bit, just their nature of broness that they bring to the table in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was not expecting this type of story. I did not think that we were going to get something about two men who were friends and how that friendship impacted their lives and the choices in their lives while getting plenty of time to get to know them on their own, but it's the moments when they're together that I love the absolute most. It's just two of the greatest of all time acting against each other, and then hearing them at the Golden Globes, hearing Brad talk about how good of a friend they are and just how much he respects Leo, uh, LDC, as I mentioned earlier. <laughs> his nickname is goes by his initials. They're the reason that Once Upon a Time Hollywood was so elevated for me. And amongst other elements, the reasons I love the movie. But it's just not often that we get to see two absolute A-list, numero uno alpha males acting together. And not in a way where either one steals the spotlight from the other, but they perfectly complement each other and give us a friendship that... Honest to God, when I heard that Quentin Tarantino was working on this four-hour director's cut of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's coming out next year or this year or whatever, like, I can't wait for that. I'm actually excited about that, and, and it, I don't need a plot. I just want to watch Leo and Brad as Cliff and as um, Rick talk and hang out in Hollywood in the 60s, Like, and I'm good. They, so, des they deserve a TV series. They deserve there you go. That would be phenomenal. Yes. Little buddy, buddy comedy or buddy drama or whatever it is. I'd love to see that. 
Well, I, I did not have any more. I stuck to the rule and gave my two and two. So if you have any other honorable oh, mentions. Are we done with two and two? I don't even know. I don't know what's going on, Patrick. Am I in charge of this? Cause you are. I'm you, not doing a good job. You're the man in this one. <laughs> At least I am somewhere. Um, <laughs> honorable mentions. I do have some females to call out. Jesse Buckley and Wild Rose. This is a little indie film that came out earlier in the year. I would like to rewatch it. I'm not as high on the movie as some of my critic friends are, but it's a really, really good movie. It's got country music at the heart, but it's set, I think, in Ireland or Scotland. It's one of the two. And it has the best song of the year. It's called Glasgow. If it does not get nominated and win the best original song at the Oscars, I'm going to riot because it is phenomenal. Jessie Buckley is an incredible, incredible talent. She's a supporting actress in Judy, but she's nowhere near to the level that she is as a leading role like she is in Wild Rose. It is a wonderful, wonderful film and a wonderful performance, and she is someone that needs to be on everybody's radar. Um, She is going to be a star, I am telling you. Aquafina, who we talked a little bit about earlier in The Farewell, I was so blown away. I knew she could do comedy um, because of Ocean's 8. Is that the one with the females? Or 11 or 12? Yeah, whichever one it is with the girls. Um, And then also because of Crazy Rich Asians, that's the character that I know her as, is kind of that same similar role. And so when I saw her get dramatic in The Farewell, I was just blown away by that performance. And again, I go back to, this is an actress. This is not just a rapper who's doing acting on the side. She is an actress and she earned that award. And I am super excited to see what she does next. And Song Kang Ho in Parasite, uh, the lead actor who uh, is the patriarch of this family and just really is the driving force, I think, for mostly the entire movie, um, trying to balance what he allows and encourages his family to do in order to make sure they're taken care of um, versus how he handles things when he experiences this classism, discrimination, and um, this certain things that this family kind of put on to him personally um, throughout the film. He, he is gives an incredibly emotional performance, and uh, it's just really, really great. And in one of the best movies of the year, He's the one that stands out the most to me. So I thought I kind of wanted to give a nod to him. Good deal. And I am mistaken. I still have my second female to uh, to give love to. So I apologize. Wow. Good. Apologies to Aaron. <laughs> Margot Robbie in Bombshell, I think, is probably the standout performance of uh, at least the back half of the year for me. When you play a character who is a composite of several women, and play it to the tune of allowing me to experience what probably dozens of women felt working at Fox. It's pretty powerful. Um, the other, the other two performances are great. There's no taking away from what they've done, but for someone like Margot, who over the last two or three years, she has given us so much range in terms of what she brings to the table from playing uh, Harley Quinn, from playing uh, Tanya Harding, and now this, I, I just adore her, Aaron. I mean, she is someone who I think is in a position to really do amazing things. I don't know that she got a a Golden Globe nomination, 
Um, and I don't know that she's going to get a, an Oscar nomination, but it would make me so happy to see her in that nomination list for the Oscars. Um, because I think that you're represent, when you're representing that pool of women and trying to get across this notion that it's not just one person or one woman, but you're carrying the story of so many others. It's important. It's meaningful. It's impactful. And it's part of what made Bombshell my number one of the year. And boy, does she have some chemistry with Kate McKinnon. Dude. And, you know, Dude. In one specific scene. Which <laughs> I, I feel like that that's going to be one of her two potential like Oscar clips. clips. Yeah. I, I almost hope it's that one because I really don't want to sit through the Roger Ailes section. Oh, gosh. Again, I can't imagine that they would play that. There's no dialogue. There's, yeah, there's no dialogue. So. so, but that's that's a scene that right there is one of the standouts of the year. Just yes, entering that and doing it so perfectly as a compiling character for us. So appreciate it. It's a great pick. Well, next up, we're gonna do our most exceeded expectations picks. And again, I don't know what I'm doing as far as the numbers go. I just wrote some movies down. So. So, uh, yeah, what did you have for this category, Patrick? Well, when we were, I think it was in August, July or August, that we did Highlights and Hopefuls. We did kind of a little recap of what we saw in the first half of 2019, what we were looking forward to. And I believe the movie that I was looking forward to the most was Ford v. Ferrari. I was so looking forward to seeing uh, Christian Bale and Matt Damon on the big screen together. I knew nothing, nothing about this movie just what the synopsis told me. So in a sense, I went into it blind. And when I walked out of the theater, we talked about this in our episode, I fell in love. I wanted to watch it again. There was so much about it that felt complete to me. It felt, I still want to watch it again. I, I, I'm <laughs> ready. Why? I'm ready. I'm ready for that. Rush and Days of Thunder as my triple feature. I'm really, I, I want, I want all the representation of all the, all the, the race, the race organizations. But Leaving the theater and just feeling so good about that. Um, I think I, I mentioned this on the show that I was in a, I'd had some kind of rough news that may have influenced me going into the theater. Like I, I just needed something to make me feel better. So watching the movie and getting so many different moments where I cried and I laughed and I just enjoyed myself, it made it really, really memorable for me. And I'm so glad that it, not only met, but exceeded my expectations. Well, that's awesome. I'm not surprised that that is on your list at all um, as exceeding expectations. But, you know, it's pretty hard for that to happen, actually, when a movie that you already are super excited for can still surprise you. Um, but, yeah, it, I really, really want to go see it again. You just had one, you're telling me. And that's great. Well, I don't, okay? Because not. I'm an overachiever, Patrick. Yes, you are. No, I'm, I'm going to just... I have three. So, first up is Little Women. Exceeded my expectations because I expected it to be like the rest of Little Women adaptations, which is slow, quiet, period piece that like is so focused on the costumes and drama that it's just dripping and I am not that interested. That is what I expected. I don't know why I expected that, knowing that it was Greta Gerwig. I probably should have thought 
better of that. And now knowing that, I will go into any other Greta Gerwig movie with, you know, a proper understanding of what her films might be like. But yeah, it really blew me away. Even though I expected to like it, Patrick, because it was Greta and it had a wonderful cast. And I figured worst case scenario, it'll be good. I was floored by how much I liked it on my first viewing. And I rewatched it a second time with my daughter. And then I was just like, man, I absolutely love this movie. And when, you know, the dominoes fell and we were able to squeeze in an episode of it, and I got to watch it a third time. I just realized it was my number one movie of the year. And so, you know, for a film that was on my 2019 most anticipated rankings, somewhere down in the low 20s to end up being my number one of the year, that's pretty big exceeding of expectations i think that's for sure the other two on those rankings and it's fun i did this again this year with 35 movies that i'm really excited about um and then what i did is i took this data from my 2019 list and i cross-referenced it with where those films ended up as related to each other in my end of year rankings and it was really cool to see like this year, in 2019, a bunch of movies that I really, really had high hopes for were toward the bottom, unfortunately. And several of the movies towards the bottom of my excited list were really high in my final rankings. The other two being Toy Story 4 and Joker. Neither of those I had very high hopes for. I was extremely reluctant about both of them going in. Toy Story 4 well-documented. I'm with the rest of the world and thinking that it didn't need to exist. And so I was really surprised when I came out feeling like it fit perfectly and that I adored it even more than one of the previous Toy Story entries. And I'm so glad that it does exist now. And then Joker was a very similar experience for me where I went into it thinking this has a recipe for disaster and I did not trust Todd Phillips in the slightest based on his filmography. And I think that's fair and rightfully so going into this movie. Um, and then to come out of that movie, just face beaming going, you know, that was cinema <laughs> with a superhero somewhere in there and a super villain. But like the, the, w the way that Joker blew me away in every aspect of its filmmaking was unexpected completely like i did not think that was going to happen i didn't think the cinematography would be some of the year's best or the score would be one of the year's best all those i knew joaquin phoenix would kill it but for all of those elements to come together and it just to be such a powerhouse was not on my radar well the next category is our biggest disappointments so where'd you go with that one well this came down to two but then i had to make a executive decision it, it came down to the lion king and fast and furious hobbs and shaw both of which i had i had higher expectations for the lion king because it's my number one animated feature like of all time um but i ultimately dismissed it because the thing is i got the same thing i got in the animated feature minus the emoting facial expressions of the lions i got the same story and to an extent that was pretty disappointing because when we talk about these remakes and reimaginings and whatever we're calling them, there's a sense of wanting to change things up a bit. I think Cinderella was a great example of that in terms of giving us a little bit more story to go with our musical. 
I am kind of looking forward to Mulan this next year because it doesn't have music and I'm probably going to be in the minority of people that are thinking that just because the story itself intrigues me. But more so than The Lion King, Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw was one of those that I didn't have high expectations for. I thought it was a a movie that was just going to be a lot of fun, and it was. There was going to be a lot of high action, and it did. But because of the fact that it is part of this FF universe and what you and I have been so um, attuned to and really enjoyed about the movie, uh, this franchise, Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw just felt like a cheap imitation. It felt like it took the funniest parts of these characters and ripped out any sense of drama. And I know I'm going to come across as that old man for cinema saying, get off my lawn and that we should have this popcorn brainless entertainment. But at the same time, when you attach it to a franchise that is really finding its footing in the last two or three movies, you get an entry that feels very cheap. It feels like it didn't have a lot of brain power. It was just built on a lot of jokes. And in a lot of ways, it reminded me of how I walked away from Thor Ragnarok, feeling like we had a really great idea that was just kind of filled with a lot of humor. That was really great. It was really fun and really hilarious, but ultimately disappointing. Well, that's two of my five, so I can just move along past those two. Um, the others that were on my list are Ad Astra, which just, you know, based on being one of my top three or so movies of the year, as far as anticipation goes, for two years running, if you go back to our 2017 and 2018 end of year episodes, you'll hear me talk about Ad Astra, both of those. And I was just really looking forward to it and it was not something that met my expectations and I was very disappointed by it. I have since watched it again, sort of, I watched the commentary and my response to it has improved and I'm still somewhat excited to get a chance to sit down and rewatch the film as a whole. And I think that it has potential to be really, really solid and actually be a movie that I enjoy quite a bit, but it's still never going to reach that expectation level of the next interstellar for me it will not be that good we're not going to get like a passenger's reaction right where you're going to be like mellow on it and then go what really and then fall in love with it not unless i can like totally rework a whole plot point and view it from a different perspective somehow (laughs) probably not um the others were godzilla king of the monsters no idea what happened there this was one of the best trailers i maybe have ever seen at least the best trailers of the decade. It was phenomenal. And I went in so excited to see Godzilla fight a bunch of monsters. And what I got was an incredibly stupid movie with humans saying ridiculous things and doing ridiculous things. And even though that's sort of in line with some of the older entries in the Godzilla franchise, it did not feel consistent at all with the newer series that this is part of and that is what threw me off the most and then the other big problem with this movie patrick is it was shot almost entirely in the dark and the rain and the oceans and it was very very difficult to see and i want to see my big ass monsters fighting other big ass monsters 
if that's what this movie is all about. And when it's incoherent action wise from most of it, like that's a huge letdown. And I just, I was so, so bummed coming out of that movie. Um, unfortunately, uh, the other one glass, I almost forgot about it because it was in January. Um, but going back to January glass is something I was actually really excited for love unbreakable with all my heart really like split and thought that there was a potential there for Shyamalan to wrap up that trilogy in a just a super special, unique, cool way. And I did not like at all what he chose to do narratively with his movie. It just didn't work for me. And that's all I'm going to say is I have zero desire to ever watch it again. And that bums me out too. I think we, do we own it? Heck if I know. Yeah. I mean, I know we were going to cover it and I think we bailed on it because it was so bad. Yeah. All right. Um, favorite episodes of the show to record. You got any of those? I've got one big one. And it's one. I th- feel like I so overdid this. No, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, I, there are others, but I, I, I nailed it to one. All and, right. And, we'll see if your one is one of my many that I wrote down. <laughs> Go ahead. That's not to say that we haven't had some great episodes. I just, I was selective. Patrick liked one out of our like 70. That's feel <laughs> encouraging. So I liked the first episode we did in January and then the second one, then the third one. No. <clears throat> uh, Joker with Andrew B. Dice. Um, any episode with him, I'm going to always say is going to be a fanboy. Th- yeah. What? You're a fanboy. I am, but I'm now a more mature fanboy as we, we talk maturely <laughs> about the flash and about, you know, what it's like to live in Canada and things like that. So hopefully we're buds and he thinks that, um, but no, I, when you have someone like him on your conversation just gets elevated to a different level. I feel like our episodes are better with him on it because he brings really, really great conversation to the table. And I remember specifically about Joker leaving that conversation, not just talking about the movie, but talking about something equally as important. And that's understanding our trigger points and understanding the importance of, of knowing about mental illness and about people who deal with it. Um, it was probably one of the few episodes I remember getting emotional during my connecting point as well. It hit me very close to the heart in what, um, what I was feeling, but the discussion itself just felt very relevant. It felt like a conversation that much like our jaws episode, when we talk about new listeners, Hey, what episode should I check out first? And we always talk about jaws because we feel like that's one of the best ones we've had this last year. It's going to be the Joker. Because not only are a lot of people interested in the movie and a lot of people seeing the movie, but it's also a really good conversation that goes beyond just the plot of the movie and the character development. It really was a movie that made me feel something and something very visceral. So, yeah, it was my top for this year. Awesome. And that was episode 191 for those playing along at home who want to go back and listen to our Joker episode again. I'm excited for Oscar season because I'll get to be like retweeting all of these old episodes and reviews like, hey, give us more clicks and listens because some people actually haven't gotten to these like in the moment and they do need to come back to him. That's why I'm saying this. Um, Some of my favorite episodes, Patrick. I have a list. Uh, for the, so for the main show, main line episodes, 152 on 12 Years a Slave was a very special one to me. Mm-hmm. It was super hard <laughs> for us to get through. Um, but I think that, again, 
this was part of a real intentional early part of the year, especially for both of us kind of dealing with some thoughts on race that we were working through. And, you know, watching that movie again is one, it's one, it's one that people come up with all the time when they say, what's a movie that you've seen that you never want to have to watch again. And that one comes up and understandably. So it is a phenomenally made film and acted film, etc., And it has a lot of power in it. And I just thought we had a really special discussion in that one that I would love to point people towards episode 175 primarily because you just let it happen I got to talk about pitch perfect for like an hour (laughs) and I cannot tell you so I love this movie with all my heart and the fact that we even were able to do this it's the kind of movie that on the surface you wouldn't think would get a podcast episode but it turned into a really, really awesome conversation, and it was just one of the most fun nights I can remember all year, and I was jacked to get to do it. Episode 187, Friday Night Lights. We finally got around to doing a couple football episodes. I could throw Varsity Blues with uh, J.B. Huffman in there as well, because we did those two this year, and they were both awesome. But Friday Night Lights in particular, Varsity Blues is the fun movie. Um, Friday Night Lights is the more serious dramatic movie and just i think was something that you and i both connected with so deeply um, and strongly from a fan perspective and then we're able to get into its you know deeper themes and talk about those in a way that i thought was a really great conversation 199 the peanut butter falcon with dawn we've talked about that a couple times already tonight if you have not seen the movie go watch the peanut butter falcon people please and then come listen to this episode because it was great it was awesome dawn really brought it and i think we really added a lot to this conversation uh, about this film and i think we can help some people understand why it's worthy of being considered one of the year's best films and not just a feel-good throwaway kind of forget it movie that it's more special than that absolutely and then most recently episode 205 bombshell um, primarily because I loved it. And when I come out loving something surprisingly, that could be another one that was like on my unexpected list. But because to me, as your friend, not as your co-host or whatever, it is really a cool experience when I like something and I'm able to share it with you because I see everything first. And then I get to watch you go through falling in love with something that I may not expect you to specifically when I'm not expecting it. And I was not expecting your reaction to bombshell. Okay. That is basically what I'm getting at here. I thought you might like it, but I didn't think it was like number one territory for you. I would have never, never in a million years, Patrick, like I I don't think you could have asked me, I would have given you 15 movies, 20 movies before I picked it, but that's not how it came out. And so getting to hear you be passionate and talk about it and, you know, sharing and all of the same feelings you had and getting to talk those out. And I think what ended up being a really phenomenal episode that helped us work through some of our feelings and responses to some of the sexual harassment that's been happening in the world and also maybe can help some listeners who are listening to it work through that as well. So I thought it was really great. Yeah, I I think that if I look back on 2019, we may experience this from years past, but I don't think so. We've gone through a gamut of challenges in terms of the issues that we've discussed, not necessarily problems that we've solved, 
but issues that we've discussed. We've talked about racism in America. We've talked about sexual harassment. We've talked about grief. We've talked about depression. I mean, these are these are topics of conversation that I I would imagine come up in movie reviews because the movies that we discuss them in deal with that kind of stuff. But because we're feeling film, because we look at things from an emotional standpoint, it's such a significantly important approach in in being able to look at all these movies that we've covered. This has probably been the most emotionally visceral year that we've had on the show, uh, in my opinion, in terms of the movies that we've covered and the intentionality with those. I, I hope that in the years to come, we'll continue to seek out more movies um, by people of color, more movies by women, more movies that deal with some of those harder topics. I noticed this year, Aaron, that, um, and again, I might be looking at this from a biased point of view, but there weren't a lot of animated movies out there. I mean, we Toy Story 4, Incredibles 2. Um, Not Incredibles 2. That was last year. Oh, it was? Frozen 2. Sorry, Frozen 2. Frozen 2, How to Train Your Dragon 3. So yeah, we've which had, we didn't cover, but the, the only two we covered were Toy Story Four and Missing Link. That's right. So two. But that's because Weathering with You's been delayed and yada yada. But that'll be this year. But there were other animated movies out there that in the past yeah. we've we've covered, and I think that's uh, we did Batman Hush and Batman TMT. But those and okay. Death of Reign of Superman. Okay, we did that whole line. Okay, so sorry. Anyway, in any, I'm just raining on your parade. Sorry. <laughs> in any case, I think we've unintentionally and in some ways intentionally focused on movies that as a as a byproduct or even as a main issue have dealt with some some hard things to talk about and i think that's good and i hope we i guess i'm saying i'm hoping we go through uh the the future of our show being able to approach those things uh more frequently maybe not to let every episode be like a debbie downer necessarily or like this is going to be a hard topic but to know that our our show does touch on those things um uh, because they're important to us and at the very least they they make good stories I agree. My other two, by the way, were my FF Plus interview with Mads Mikkelsen for his film Arctic. That was really early in the year, and it was like the only interview I did all year. I don't know what happened, but it just was not a year where interviews were a thing. They didn't really get offered many to us, and it just wasn't happening. So hopefully that can be kind of turned around here in 2020. Uh, because I do enjoy doing that. But getting to talk to Mads was one of the highlights of like my life. That was amazing. And then our whole 200th anniversary series on Indiana Jones, just getting to go through another trilogy, much like we did with Toy Story, something that we, you know, hold a lot of value in. And we both not only enjoy rewatching, but just getting to talk through why we love it. It was the perfect companion while you were playing Uncharted and it just all synergized so well. And I thought that was awesome and a ton of fun. And now I have to worry about like what the next one is because... 300 will be here before we know it <laughs> hopefully not in 2020 yeah i don't think so i don't think we're gonna move that fast no well next section is our feeling five and that has five in the title so i hope you have more than one I, um, yes i have five <laughs> okay <laughs> and only five. i have six I like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen i hope you can follow the rules that our <laughs> feeling film five was one ish um, five ish <laughs> That's great. 10.1, 10.2, <laughs> your top 10, 10 points. All right. You know, I don't want to spend more than a, a few. We're running. It's it's a long episode. So let's, like, give a couple quick notes on why we picked each thing without re 
doing some of the stuff we've already said if we're using movies. Okay. Go ahead and hit it. All right. These are in no order, so they're not ranked. Um, Joker comes out as one of the, the biggest ones I've mentioned before. The discussion on mental illness and the, the groundedness of the character being able to let us peek into that world, not even just peek, but actually live in that world for two hours, I think is something that isn't done a lot. And when it's done effectively, you get an empathy that um, you don't get when you're talking about other movies that maybe exploit that. Uh, the movie asks the question, or at least makes the statement, that people look at you uh, with mental illness and expect as if you don't uh, expect you to behave as if you don't have it. And I, I think that line in and of itself, I think, sums up why the Joker is one of the most uh, emotionally visceral movies that I experienced last year. All right, um, mine are also in no order whatsoever. Um, Marriage Story. I don't know what else needs to be said. If you're a listener to this podcast, you should go back and listen to our episode on Marriage Story. Um, you will hear how it broke me down. It, it was supplanted by Little Women at the end of the year as my favorite, and I think that that probably is because when I look back at my number one movies of the year, I'm always going to gravitate when things are just darn near absolutely equal to something that makes me happy. <laughs> and... Marriage Story is a movie that I think is a profoundly important and phenomenal exploration of what it looks like to go through a divorce with kids, but it's not something I necessarily enjoy rewatching frequently. I probably won't revisit it hardly ever, um, even though I think it is an amazing piece of art, but its effect on me personally was probably, I would say, hands down the strongest of the year. And um, we went into that in full in the episode, of course. So check that out if you want more. But Marriage Story was the one that knocked me on my butt. Yeah, I can attest to your reaction to it. And the episode really kind of goes into a lot of detail about how it affected both of us. As someone who is 11 years into my marriage, it exposed a lot of some of the honesty and the truth that comes from being with someone that you have to work through those challenges with. I love my wife and I I love that we're married, but we do, we deal with some of the stuff that these characters are dealing with on screen. And um, I'm grateful that it's never gotten as ugly as what we have seen from these two lead characters. But the reality and honesty of it reminds me that um, when you're in an intimate relationship that you value you are going to have not just hard times, but sometimes some devastation. And um, it gets even more complicated when there is a child involved. And Marriage Story is is one of those movies that exposes a reality and leaves you with kind of a, a sigh at the end, not necessarily a sigh of relief, but maybe just a sigh of, okay, where do we go from here? And I think that's okay. Well, the next one on my list is The Peanut Butter Falcon. You mentioned it and given it a lot of love. It deserves all the love that it uh, it is get, it is getting from us and from Don and from anybody else that's seen it. I think, like you said, it's not just a feel-good movie, although there's a definite feel-goodness to it. It's a road movie. It's got comedy. But it's a movie that absolutely stays with you after you've seen it. It's a movie that reminds us that we're all weird in some way, shape, or form. And that we need each other, that we need friendships. We need to be able to not just be accepted, but to be valued. 
And when you have these two main characters that are literally on the road helping each other in some way to see the moments when they start to click, when they start to really value each other, starts to elevate the movie beyond just a a fun, feel-good flick. It becomes a movie that I want to connect to in a meaningful way. Sometimes I feel like both of the characters, not at the same time, obviously, but each performance gives me something that I can connect to. And so watching both of these guys talk to each other and interact with each other and fight for each other to an extent, it's a beautiful thing. Um, the ending, I'm still not quite sold on, but I think that overall the movie itself is a solid uh, emotional connection for me. I uh, can't agree more. It was on my list, so I'll just say ditto to that. We've talked about it quite a bit tonight, and I feel exactly like you do about that movie and its importance with friendship and themes of overcoming um, trauma in your life and needing other people to really do that. My next one I'll mention is Weathering With You. Again, I'm not going to say a lot about this because we've got an episode coming up here in a couple of weeks. And unlike the rest of the world, for the most part, well, I guess not the world, if we have listeners in Japan, they may have seen this. And in India, I believe it's released as well. But if you're in the America, um, in the America, the Americas, or like Europe, you haven't seen this yet. And I don't want to spoil anything. I'll just tell you, you know, in my top four of the year, phenomenal film, another Makoto Shinkai um, knockout for me on an emotional level. Uh, its relationship between its central pairing of teenagers is both similar and absolutely completely different than the one in your name. And I really appreciated that. Watching it for the first time, I had to go through it kind of trying to figure out why it was different and, and not be off put where it wasn't the same. Um, so I can only tell you going into it that try not to think about your name when you go into this um, as much as you can. Don't think it's going to be that same romantic type of relationship because it's a little more uh, on the friend level than it is romantic uh, for a while. And I think you'll be able to appreciate it more right from the start when you see this, but it grew over me. It did not leave my mind, which is what happens with a lot of Makoto Shinkai films. And by the time I watched it a second time, Patrick, it had just completely bowled me over, cried multiple times, was very, very moved by it. I think it is a really smart blending of a climate message with, I, I don't even want to say message, brings up a great conversation that people can have about climate change without necessarily making a statement on it, um, but also wrapping that in this typical Makoto Shinkai fantasy story. And I mean, I could watch it without any plot and just the visuals and the Radwimps soundtrack and the sound of rain and wind and such alone would be a super experience all in and of themselves. It would make me feel so it absolutely was one of my top five. I think you've just kind of given us a sneak preview of what we're going to be talking about in Shinkai month coming up in the next few weeks maybe <laughs> not just with that but with the other three that we're going to cover well little women comes it uh as, as my fourth and it was my number two of the year a, a surprise pick for me in terms of 
my expectations versus like what I actually got out of it. It didn't make my most exceeded or because of the fact that I didn't really go into it thinking, Hey, this is going to be okay. I actually wouldn't expect him to watch this at all in the theater. And when you leave an experience that is a period piece, I talked about this on our episode and you go, wow, that's relevant today. Uh, wow. I really connected with all these characters. Hey, these period piece characters are not talking with British accents. All these things really made me happy because it completely usurped any idea, any kind of preconceptions I had about this, um, this subject matter, this novel, this, I guess, part one of three that, um, that comes from a book. But as you mentioned, Greta Gerwig, I don't think has done any wrong in our history with her. I think, uh, in one of our last episodes, uh, bonus, bonus content, we talked about our top 10 of the decade and Lady Bird came up as one of the top 10 for me. And that was a recent pick. So maybe that should have been one of my non-current year first time viewed films. I don't know. Anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Little Women. There are so many moments, Aaron, when I felt so deeply uh, for some of these characters and the relationships that these sisters have with each other, the relationship they had with their mom, the relationship they have with other men. Um, they are tender. They are incredibly just sensitive, but not in the negative sense. They're very much an innocence to them. Uh, Little Women as a whole is one of those movies that kind of turns things a little bit on their heads, but in a way that's really subtle. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be something different or refreshing. It's just Greta Gerwig's way of doing it. Um, it did get me curious about reading the book at some point. That will probably be on my list to read. But right now I'm going to be satisfied with the latest and probably definitive movie adaptation, which is this year's Little Women. Great choice for sure. Um, was on my short list, of course. Uh, my next one I'm going to go with is Love and Tosha. This is the documentary film um, outlining the life of Anton Yelchin, um, our beloved actor who was gone too soon in a freak accident. And this one, I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I don't even know what I have to say about this. It, what blew me away about this documentary more than anything, Patrick, was that it's told first of all they have a ton of footage of him which makes any documentary about someone's life infinitely better is when you can actually see that person in action you can see him as a child going to auditions and performing for himself and his parents in his room but you get to really watch and understand the depth of the relationship that he had with his mom and dad who immigrated over here um, specifically his mother. He had an incredibly close relationship with her, and it was very meaningful in his life. But you also get, peppered throughout this documentary, all of this feedback from people who worked with him. Directors, actors, you know, cinematographers, writers, friends. And to a person, the message was always the exact same. Anton was troubled but never let it get the best of him he always fought through it he had a medical condition i was completely unaware of that was incredibly difficult for him to deal with while he was trying to have an acting career that would probably have 
crushed the dreams of almost anyone, but he was so determined. And he fought through that and had a phenomenal career. And he did it because he loved with being with other people and he loved what he could bring to storytelling with other people. And, and it just was an amazing look into this person's life. And for an actor that I already loved him from a performing standpoint and enjoyed his work and was shocked by the way at how gigantic his filmography is all these movies I didn't know existed. And now I want to go and watch, but I fell in love with him as a human being. Um, and I came away really affected because of his loss. Um, and the fact that he was go- gone too soon and not just as a film film fan who is sad that I don't get any more awesome Anton Yelchin movies, but sad for the world, sad for his bubble of people that he touched all throughout his life, that he was very important to, um, and all of the people that he could have impacted had he lived longer. He, he really is um, a, a great person, and this documentary showed that to me, and it was super affecting. Solid choice, and you're exactly right. He's gone but not forgotten, and uh, he's definitely missed. That documentary elevates that feeling for sure for me. My final one is one that I don't think is a surprise. It's Bombshell. And I think it partly stems from Margot Robbie's performance in it. But it also is one of those movies that I jokingly on the show, but I'm starting to legitimately start being more serious about. It needs to be the film that you watch when you're getting trained in sexual harassment um, education at any company. I think that there is a lost emphasis. There's a lost impact when companies put together training for sexual harassment prevention that is really built around not being, maintaining a a non-liability. When I look at Bombshell, Bombshell is very honest about its depiction of how women are treated and while there is some showmanship, there is some sensationalism, the truth behind it is still there. And when you watch some of the scenes that we've talked about on the episode, you start to realize that you're not just a spectator, that in some ways you get pu- pulled in and you're a participant and it makes you feel gross. It makes you feel like, oh my gosh, not only am I not part of the, I'm, I'm not part of the solution, but I might even be part of the problem without even knowing it. Um, I mentioned on the episode that it's kind of how I felt about this un- unveiling of racism in America and how um, white privilege is something that I don't need to necessarily avoid, but I need to embrace and I need to understand. Sexual harassment is not just what we think it is, what it's written on paper. It is so much more. And Bombshell does what I think a lot of movies need to do when they're talking about sensitive subjects, and that's get sometimes get right in your face about it and give us portrayals of the the workplace that can be sensationalized, but are sensationalized for the sake of understanding truth to get us to feel what these women are feeling. And Bombshell definitely did that. Yep, that was my fifth one, and I knew that was coming, so I kind of hung back and left that one off until you were going to eventually get to it. I figured that would happen. Uh, my honorable mention though is a movie that just came out and I don't even know if it's limited or what, but Terrence Malick's latest film, a hidden life. 
I almost want to go see this in a theater, Patrick, because I don't feel like I gave it. It is really hard to watch a Terrence Malick movie at home. They are three hours long. They are super slow and meditative. And there is a million things that can distract you and take your attention away from the experience that you are having. And it, it is just such a difference than if you were to watch it in a theater immersive where you don't have any of those things, but it's just you and the characters on the screen and you're really living in those moments. It's still a phenomenal film, in my opinion. I think it is really great. Um, but the reason is because of its emotional impact, its spiritual impact. It's following this man from a very, very small village who is you know, taken by the Nazis to be part of their army as they are going to start going around Europe and wiping out the Jews. And he becomes a conscientious objector. He's a Christian um, and he won't go. And it follows him as his wife and his village and his mother and, and his the rest of his you know people in his life. And everybody kind of deals with trying to figure out like what's the right decision here and wrestles with this um, from a moral standpoint, a spiritual standpoint, and ultimately follows him through his life in imprisonment. And there's a line in this movie that will stick with me forever. And that is, he says, the suffering we choose is greater than the suffering we don't. Um, and essentially he's saying, you know, I'm putting myself in this position. I am choosing to be imprisoned when I could get out of this. It's very much like silence uh, and the same impact that that film had for me, Scorsese's picture, in that it deals with how firm are you going to be in your beliefs? Where, How is your faith actually going to manifest itself in everyday life when it comes to standing up to evil? And what is that worth? And if it costs you everything, your life, will you be willing to go through with that? And it explores all of that over the course of this three hours. It's beautifully shot and it is really affecting, um, like I said. And it will, especially for Christians, it's going to have you coming away, much like silence does, thinking about yourself in that position. What would I do? And what does it say about me? whatever that answer comes out to be. So for that regard, I had to make sure I mentioned it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, I don't know when it actually, it's supposed, it says it's released already, but I live in Arkansas, which means nothing's going to happen. So I'm hoping to see it at some point this year. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I'd be saying it might not even come out in Arkansas. <laughs> no, video on demand. Come on, come, Jeff right? Nichols, fix this. Yeah. All right. Well, our last section mostly or next to last section i don't know whatever the next section is most anticipated films of 2020 and this is supposed to be three and i have a lot more than three but i i have three so what did you probably have three because you're a rule follower like my daughter what did you come up with as your most anticipated films because i know i'm gonna agree with your three and i'll just like add my i'll just take extra on top of them to <laughs> I actually had seven. <laughs> Holy cow. Okay, but, well, let's but, go but through some of these. I ranked my three. Like my I important. didn't really. I mean, they're ranked in my, I have a ranking on Letterboxd right now. I could pull it up. But I, anyway, let's just 
kind of go back and forth, and we don't need to talk too much about them, but let's well, hit them up. Well, the one I'm looking forward to the most, I think, is the one... Tenet, for both okay. of us. Yeah, easily. <laughs> so, Christopher Nolan's new movie. So, I don't know... I'm assuming you're in the same boat as me. I literally know nothing about this movie. I don't either, and I've... I've I know it has... Yeah, go ahead. John David Washington. Yes. And it has Robert Pattinson. Uh-huh. And there's probably something to do with trippy time. Yeah. Because that's Christopher Nolan's motif. Yeah. And they look really slick in their suits. Yes, they do. <laughs> and that is as much as I know. And I don't want to know a damn thing more going into this. That's movie. it. No more. Just going okay. from, from now until whenever it releases. I don't know. Is it spring or summer? When's it? Summer. Summer? Summer. So now Junior I've got to go through four months of going to see movies for the show. Covering my eyes and ears going la, 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 Oh, yeah, that's going to be a trick for you because you are going to see a lot of theater movies and you're going to have to watch out for those trailers. Um, But I hope you're able to because this is a very rare experience where I want to be – I don't want a teaser. I don't want a piece of information. I'm not reading articles. I'm literally just – this is the closest I will probably ever come to muting words on Twitter going into a movie. I don't want to know. Tenet, I don't want to know. (laughs) Well, All right, what's your number two? Well, one movie that I have no problem watching the trailers for is Top Gun Maverick. I know that this is probably one that you're not really interested in, but I'm definitely interested in it. Um, mainly because it's amazing to see Tom Cruise looking exactly like he did back in the 1980s in his same outfit. And apparently he doesn't age. He's been cryogenically frozen uh, in between Mission Impossible movies. But this is definitely one that's on my list of top top movies. Top Gun movies, actually. I'm sorry. That was bad. Uh, also, my number two, and really close, honestly. Like, it is, it has gotten super close. In fact, for much of the last couple months, I have told people, like, I think I am more excited about Top Gun Maverick than Tenet, but the reality is, it's not true. It's a Christopher Nolan movie, and it's its own level. But this is number two for me. Yeah, I will, I've still watched that trailer, like, constantly. You know, once a week, I feel like I, I just want to fire it up and put it on my big screen TV. It looks like it's going to deliver. It looks like it's going to be unique enough mm-hmm. and fresh enough that it's going to work in a way that I'm terrified, though. I am still terrified. Like, the ways in which this could completely fail exist, but I place my hope in Tom Cruise. And from what I have seen, I believe that this man would not make this movie unless it was going to be worthy. And uh, so, yeah. What else you got? Uh, well, number three for me is, uh, I think, one that's uh, always been close to our hearts, and that's the latest in the FF franchise, Fast and Furious 9. I feel like we're getting back to the roots of what we love about the franchise. Uh, Fate was a little bit over the top, which I know is saying something about a franchise that progressively gets kind of bigger and bigger. But... Um, having um, more of a family feel to it, like the family importance. I think we're going to get more of that. So it's it's the big blockbuster I'm looking forward to the most, I think, this uh, this year. Also one of my five highlighted picks in my top five. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know what, Fate, I'm not comparing it to Fate because Fate was kind of the culmination of a certain style of the series and the way it had gone with The Rock and Jason Statham and the two Evans boys, this is pulled back and we are reuniting a focus on the original cast with Justin Lin. And that 
is why I'm super excited. To be honest with you, if this was not Justin Lin, if we were doing like another F. Gary Gray installment and it was going to have the whole shebang of the cast, I would be a lot less excited about it, Patrick. I would be reluctantly going into it to be entertained, but I would not have, I don't think it would have the potential to like wow me and be special, but because of the reunions that are coming with this, I feel like this has a potential to really reinvigorate the series for its final couple entries in the same way that like Fast Five did. I agree. So we'll see. Yeah, maybe we'll go back to Race Wars or something. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, between Top Gun Maverick and Fast and Furious 9, somebody is going to space. <laughs> somebody is. Just who it is, we'll, we'll find out. We'll throw a quarter bet or something to see who it is. Um, I'm also looking forward to um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. The the trailer for it looked really, really good. I'm really excited about the fact that Jason Reitman is behind the di- uh, the the director's camera, and he's also helping write the screenplay for it. Of course, he was behind the original Ghostbusters movie, and I'm optimistic about the fact that this is a great continuation of that timeline. And uh, and I, I don't really have any bad things to say about the quote reboot or the all female cast. It's just different. So I think Afterlife is going to be a logical leap forward in the Ghostbusters universe, and I'm looking forward to that. Not on my list of, or not on my short list, but definitely one that the trailer for excited me in a surprise way. I did not think I was going to like it because I'm not a super fan of the original. I don't dislike it by any means, but I just, it's not a property that I personally find to be particularly memorable for me, but I really liked that trailer and the style that they're going for. So yeah, fingers crossed on that one in the Heights would be my next one. I think, um, Musical's got to hit this list somewhere. There are a couple to choose from. I would not be shocked if another one is on your list. But for me, In the Heights is the one that I am most looking forward to. Another summer blockbuster. It's actually it's crazy, Patrick. This movie and Top Gun Maverick come out the same weekend. So we're going to have to do something where you're just going to need to schedule yourself to go to the movie theater twice somehow because whatever. But I'm super excited for this. The music sounds great. Um, we're getting... Uh, a unique Latino perspective of a story and a musical that we just don't ever get. And so I'm excited about that from a representation standpoint. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is attached. Um, John Cho, I believe is, is it John Chu, John Cho, John, somebody he's attached. And uh, so there's going to be some excellent dancing in this one as well. And I think the trailer for this like looks phenomenal. So I'm really excited for it. Yeah, it's on my list, too. And I think you were probably thinking about West Side Story, that this was something that I was anticipating this year, and it's gotten delayed again. Uh, or I guess it's not it's, getting delayed. It's Maybe I missed the release date. Like, I thought it was... It's Christmas 2020, as far as I know. Yeah, I, I thought it got moved. But um, I'm, I'm putting my hopes in the actual release date of the, of, of the actual musical... Um, and so In the Heights is one that, for all the reasons you mentioned, is uh, is definitely one of my most anticipated musicals of the year, and probably the only one at this point. Another one on my list is Dune, um, high, high up there. Also another Christmas release coming out next year. That's got potential to blow me away. Denis Villeneuve has yet to do me wrong. So um, after Blade Runner 2049, I have no doubt 
that I will go and see Dune for the first time and walk out really upset and frustrated thinking it was a three star experience. And then I'll go see it again and be like, that's a five star masterpiece. Cause that's been my MO with these science fiction, big films in recent years. No, seriously, I really loved the original Dune. It's one of the book series that I read as a kid that got me hooked on sci-fi in the first place. I think it is a, an awesome playground. Um, full of lore for storytelling richness and i think denis villeneuve is going to absolutely kill it and that cast is to die for anybody who's anybody is in this dune movie it's gonna be freaking awesome man didn't make my list but i love your excitement for it and of course when it comes out we'll cover it and um we'll both get excited on some level probably you more than me but that's okay maybe you'll elevate my excitement as as you're prone to do I've got two more. One is the latest Bond movie, the last Daniel Craig entry, No Time to Die. Love, love, love that Rooney Malik is the antagonist in this. He's the villain. I think he's going to do a phenomenal job. I have been kind of hit or miss with the Daniel Craig entries, not because Daniel Craig's a bad actor, um, just because the movies themselves have been kind of hit or miss. Same thing with the Pierce Brosnans. So it's less about the actor and more about the plots. And uh, this one really excites me. Maybe it's because it's Daniel Craig's last entry. Maybe it's because of Rami Malek. Or maybe it's just because I need some new Bond in my life. Well, that one is on my list as well. Um, I am excited for No Time to Die. And in the Facebook group, we're doing the great Bondathon, where folks have been going through the entire filmography of James Bond leading up to No Time to Die. So if you're interested in that, you can come through and join the group, feelandfilm.com slash groups slash, no, facebook.com slash groups slash feelandfilm uh, and participate. There's a there's conversation threads for every individual film and people are having a blast uh, going through them together. It's been a lot of fun. I love when we do this. And like you, I'm just super jacked for a new Daniel Craig Bond and the twists that this one is going to have um, with the different additions to the cast and what we may see. Um, let's see, what else do I have on my list? I've got Greyhound, a uh, naval film starring Tom Hanks. I actually have like two or three Tom Hanks movies on my list in general, which is crazy. Like he's all over the place this next year. I don't know when he's not. But this one, he is a naval captain of a warship um, in the World War One, World War Two era, which is basically all I know about this story, and I'm sold. That's all there is to it. Yay, go Navy. Yay, Navy. <laughs> Can't go wrong. All right. Well, my la- Last time he was on a boat, it turned out great. Well, actually, every time he's ever been on a boat. Shrimp boat captain, <laughs> Captain Phillips, captain of the Apollo 13. Like, he's done fine. Yeah, he's 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 the the role model for what it's like to travel with someone in by air, land, or sea. <laughs> that man can drive a ship. He, can, he really can. I have one more, and that is probably the... I don't get excited about animated movies that much, but Soul stands out to me as one of the um, one of the big movies this year for me. I'm excited about just the um, the subject matter. I'm excited about the cast. It feels very original. I'm glad that it's not based. At least I don't think it's based on an IP, but um, it looks really really fun. I love the music that I'm hearing in it, and um, I'm excited to go see it. I am excited as well, and it's going to be interesting getting a couple of new Pixar originals this year. 
I have a couple more. I'll just throw them out there. BIOS is one that has really caught my eye just from a premise standpoint. And this is one where, you know, we haven't seen any trailers for it yet, but this is in the other Tom Hanks jam. And this is the thing. Okay. Tom Hanks is the last man on earth. He is an ailing inventor facing his own mortality. He builds a robot to keep his beloved dog safe. And as the trio, he, his dog, and the robot, embark upon an epic cross-country journey, the scientist must teach his creation to become human enough to take care of its charge and the beloved pet to accept a new master. So he's essentially trying to train this robot to be the last human on Earth after he's gone and take care of the pet. So I just think it sounds like a really cool premise. Its director is uh, Miguel Sapochnik, I believe is his name. Can't really find much he's done before. He is known for being the director of the Battle of Hard Hardhome and the Battle of the Bastards in Game of Thrones. So two of the most epic TV action sequences ever shot. What that has to do with the premise of this movie, Patrick? <laughs> I don't know. Like, doesn't seem like it has any, like, connection to why he'd be good at a, you know, solo man in apocalyptic Earth with an AI type robot story. But whatever. I'm, I think it sounds awesome. You had me at and dogs and robots. I'm good there. Exactly. And Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks, yeah. Um, the Trial of Chicago 7, I don't really know a lot about this historically, and I just found out this was existing a couple days ago. It's Aaron Sorkin. He's directing a movie. I'm done. There's nothing else to say. It's a historical movie. It's from Aaron Sorkin, and it's about, I think, Vietnam, anti-Vietnam protesting, potentially, and some guys that got locked up in Chicago. I, I don't know. Well, I know it was in Chicago because it's the Chicago 7, but Trial of the Chicago 7, I'll read up on it before it comes out, but it's Aaron Sorkin, and so you and I are definitely interested in that. And animated-wise, for me, it's Raya and the Last Dragon. Disney is giving us a brand new animated film that is original, and I'm super stoked for that because Disney animation used to kill it with original properties. And this one is kind of taking like an anime story slant to it with the way that it's um, dealing with a, a cultural story from Asia. And so I think it sounds awesome and I'm really jazzed about this one and I have high hopes. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, are there any last mentions of films that you did not get to talk about? No, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty filled up here filmed up filmed up yeah that too <laughs> all right well 2020 is going to be big um as always we are super excited for it we hope to grow um bring more listeners into the fold more movies a lot more theater picks i think maybe than this past year it looks like we might be covering thanks to regal unlimited hurrah or thanks to a 50 percent off deal on regal unlimited on black friday in january we have shinkai director month so we'll be doing episodes on four of his films. I'm really excited about that. Any film challenges or movie-related resolutions for you in the new year? I am trying to watch more things for the first time. I have um, a ton of blind spots, especially for newer releases. So as I mentioned before, I watched Her for the first time. I also watched um, uh, I watched Whiplash for the first time. I hadn't seen that, so... Both are just great movies. I'm excited to eventually get to cover those for the show and get to rewatch those. But that's my main goal is to just continue to watch 
newer movies that I've missed because I haven't been able to make it to the theater or because they've just been missed. Interesting, because mine's like the opposite of that. So so I'm actually going to be focusing more on rewatches this year. I do not do a good job of watching the movies that I buy and own, so I'm trying to uh, force myself to do that. I have a spreadsheet. I'm tracking my film collection finally, and every time that I buy a new uh, 4K disc, especially physically, uh, I'm trying to commit to within a week or minimum of two weeks, maximum of two weeks, um, to rewatching that movie and to diving into the special features as well. I've spent like 10 hours exploring Black Hawk Down and its new 4K disc. And dude, it was just so rewarding. Like I already loved the movie, but it just it just elevated even more um, everything I felt about that film. So I've really enjoyed that experience so far. That's one I hope to continue. And then I'm also doing this thing I'm calling a 2020 diversity challenge where I've put 56 or so movies on a list um, I got some curated picks from friends and from other film fans, and it's really it's focused on minority directors and female directors, and um, typically movies that either spoke to someone on a personal level or that I find to be uh, potentially engaging from a thematic perspective, and I'm trying to do that on Thursdays for the most part, is to watch one a week at a minimum and just go through some of these, man, because I don't do a good job of diversifying the directors that I watch on an intentional basis. So trying to do that. And then the last one I'm trying to do, I'm just trying to multitask less because I'm really bad at this. I get on my computer and it sits there in my lap while I'm watching a movie. And if the movie has any bit of lag in keeping my attention, I am like on social media, tweeting and texting or whatever. And it can detract from my experience. And I'm trying to be better about giving a movie my full attention when I watch it. This is probably why they're better in the theater anyway. Exactly. So that'll do it for this uh, episode of Feelin' Film. We hope you've enjoyed our end-of-the-year recap. And I'd say 2019 did us a solid, and hopefully 2020 will not disappoint. Um, Coming up this month, as you mentioned, Aaron, is our tribute to another favorite director. Makoto Shinkai is who we are focusing on. So be on the lookout for the first of four episodes with him and the director's chair coming up in the next week or so. In addition to that, we'll also be dropping an episode discussing this year's Golden Globe Best Picture winner, 1917. Aaron, whew, what a great conversation, man. My voice is tired, but it was worth it. Amen. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.